So this is Projecting Film, a new movie podcast where movies meet. I should say new-ish because the co-host, Chris Maynard, and myself, Michael Denniston, did a show together called War Machine vs. War Horse, which was a little less on the nose as far as its subject matter. But as you can hear from the sound effect and the title of this particular podcast, we will be discussing films and how they meet uh, really is just through our own projections. Uh, our own bullshit uh, would be probably a more accurate description. So what you will hear throughout this run, I'm, I'm sure it will be short-lived, is a, a movie podcast where we're going to emphasize independent films, and in particular those that are not getting uh, that big of a profile, and to illuminate you, the audience, on films that you may not yet be aware of, we will try to uh, discuss them in a way that references two older movies. So, some sort of weird mashup that may lead you totally astray, and I'm sure that's the those are the, the comments we'll get back, if any, on social media. And uh, if you'd like to do so, we are at Projecting Film on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, at gmail.com. So, without further ado, let's uh, let's actually talk some movies. I hate sirens. Is there a problem? It's off the grid. There's people down here. There's people down here. What is he looking at? No lines. Short answers. Who's down there? Michael! There's something down there in the basement. We're not all home. So joining me for uh, the very first episode of Projecting Films, so no pressure, uh, I turn to one of my, <laughs> my favorite uh, podcasters from one of my favorite shows, Book vs. Movie. This is Margot D, who's going to give us her reaction to our first selection, uh, The Vault, starring James Franco. So uh, Margot, uh, take it away. Initial impressions of the, the trailer that you just watched. So I'm totally intrigued by here. I like James Franco. I mean, sometimes... He's a little iffy sometimes, but I feel like this is going to be one of his good performances. Francesca Eastwood, she's really a great actress. She was in Fargo, the the fourth season, I think it was. I just saw her in. She's fantastic. So there's like creepy shit in the basement of this vault of this bank, and people are robbing the bank. And they're like, okay, you got to go down where the creepy shit 
is going on. And so that's like the whole horror of it. Like it's a bank heist and then there's like creepy shit in the basement. I'm totally in. Like when is this coming out? Well, you're in luck. This is coming out in four days. Comes out this Friday. Ooh. So yeah, September 1st. Um, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of movie sites are just sort of getting that announcement. I believe it will be a VOD uh, release and probably playing more in your neck of the woods, uh, being in New York. So you, you'll probably actually get a theatrical chance, but I do believe it's VOD. It's from uh, Dan Bush, uh, who's an interesting filmmaker. He did a movie called, uh, the reconstruction of William zero. And he's, uh, kind of, you know, he, he, from what I've seen, uh, based on that, that film and this one, he likes to really blend genres. Is that something that appeals to you normally? As you said, it's a, a combination between some, uh, horror and thriller aspects with the, the bank heist and the, the creepy shit uh, downstairs, which I think is a better title in the vault, by the way, your, your title that you're giving it. Yeah, the creepy shit downstairs. Like, <laughs> yeah. why, are, why why is it called anything else? That? Especially <laughs> it's VOD. Who cares what the title is? I, I'm totally in. I'll be home. Uh, that's this this Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll watch it, but I don't leave my apartment. You don't know this about me. I rarely leave my apartment. It's got to be at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, or I don't go. So I'll watch it at my apartment this weekend. And I'll tell you how what I think of it. But I'm I'm totally intrigued. I'm it's I like the, I like this all. I like it all. I thought it was seventies. I thought it was set in the seventies for a second. Well, you definitely have the uh, the, the mustache on on Franco uh, here. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Francesca Eastwood. I'm not really familiar with her, but uh, having seen the film, she's a really interesting uh, presence here. Like she, she takes a uh, a fairly standard part as far as the uh, heist leader and does some really interesting things here. Uh, and then Franco, I agree with you. It's whenever he's in something, I never really know how it's going to go because I feel like he just does quirky projects, just like whatever mm-hmm. sort of amuses him at the time. Sometimes it's big budget comedies, and then sometimes it's something like this that I was was only made aware of like five days ago. So I I think that he's really perfect for for this role. And um, yeah, I'm kind of glad. I, I really wanted your take on it because you definitely like uh, horror films. But this one, I don't know. Do you think it'll find a horror audience because it's not pure horror? It's it's sort of a a mix of the two. Do you think that it'll have any issues uh, finding an audience that likes this type of stuff? I don't know because I haven't heard about it before, so I'm a little concerned about that. I'm totally in. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm you know we've we've got we've convinced one person. All I had to do was send you a link. <laughs> that was it. So I appreciate it's a good that. link. It's yeah. a good link. You know, before you go on the, on the quickest uh, guest appearance uh, ever, tell people about book versus movie, uh, where they can find that podcast, uh, what you've got coming up, and where they can interact with you on social media. Thank you so much. So this is Book versus Movie with a podcast that talks about films that are adapted from books. And you can find us wherever you find your podcast. You type in Book vs. Movie Podcast. But on social media, on Facebook and Twitter especially, where we're very responsive, it's Book versus a Movie. Just spell it all out. And our next episode is going to be Jaws, and we're very excited about it. Okay. I mean, I've, I've never heard of that particular horror film, but I'm, I'm sure you'll illuminate <laughs> me on that one. <laughs> we have lots of horror coming up in October, by the way. Like, we have The Exorcist, and we have some other good stuff coming up, so check us out. This is the second week. That's the point. I'm not Wait, Can't you go on this in audience? Charles, Tom was the linchpin of the story. Right, whoever you are, you see, sir, although this is basically my story, Tom moves the exposition along. He lays out the facts. It's the story of a man's quest for self-fulfillment. It's a story of a complex, tortured soul. It's the story of the effect of money on true romance. Money on true My private I'm the one who marries royalty. I'm the one. Nobody cares. A humble kid. What do you mean they don't care? A humble kid from a small town who marries the sister of the country. Stop arguing. And do what? Maybe you should just turn the projector off. No, no, don't turn the projector off. No, no, it gets black and we disappear. They want to turn the, uh, the vault uh, knew nothing about this.
Um, I, did you watch the trailer ahead of time? I did not because when we were discussing, uh, when you asked me if I had heard of this, uh, I had not. And you mentioned uh, writer director Dan Bush, uh, so that was appealing to me. And James Franco because I, I feel like oh he he chooses to do quirky things. I mean sometimes they're <laughs> sometimes they're very big misses, you know. But, I, but he, he's always swinging. He's always up for it. That's what I like. Yeah. I admire about uh, an actor. He's like a true performer that way. Uh, so yeah, Dan Bush had done, uh, the reconstruction of William Zero, uh, which was on War Machine vs. War a couple of years ago. Strangely, one of the more popular episodes, top 10 all time for that, that I <laughs> really, yes. Uh, which I really like because it was a very quality episode. You did an interview with him and then we did Cronenberg and we did, uh, we did enemy Jake Gyllenhaal. That was a great, I mean, as far wow. as the triple feature, very good. I don't know. I can't say this being projecting film. This will be our first release episode. I'm just going to say uh, we're probably going to shit the bed. We probably will not present the greatest triple feature of all time. <laughs> yeah, we're getting our sea legs here. We're we're giving ourselves a pass to start over with a Diet Coke version of War Machine versus War Horse. Um, but no, to answer your question, I did not watch the trailer because the only thing I saw was like a is like IndieWire or some film site that was raving about the trailer. And anytime I see raves about a trailer, I don't want to watch it because then I'm afraid like whatever they're selling is so cool. If I if I already have access to the film, just let me watch the movie then. You know, you, sure. So I did not watch the trailer. So even at this point, the time we're recording this, and I know I'm going to do that segment with a guest where I have them watch the trailer. I have not. I have not seen it. So had you seen the trailer before you watched the film? Um, I, I had watched the trailer because um, – after that interview with Dan for uh, William Zero, I've kind of followed his career, and I've been really interested in the work that he does out in Atlanta. He's doing short films all the time, and so this was a kind of a big step up from the smaller indie stuff that he's been doing. Even though this is an indie film, but this is—he has legitimate movie stars here. Um, Francesca Eastwood, I think, is probably—I mean, she's already done quite a bit of work, but. Um, she was in a movie earlier this year called MFA, which is phenomenal, and that hinges mainly on her performance. And so I think that's getting a release later this year, but it's something that I think that she's going to be one of those ones that we kind of – she'll not necessarily outshine her father in that sense. But yeah, I think let's that not people, put that on her, please. <laughs> no, but, but I think people will forget about it. It's kind of like the uh, Michael Douglas. I'm of the age where I really never considered Kirk Douglas uh, anyone – other than, you know, Michael Douglas's dad. It's something like that where I think she's going to have her own following and make, you know, make her own way in the world because she's really great. And I think she's good in this film also, but she's doing some interesting work already. A lot of work um, in genre films. I mean, just looking at yeah. that in particular. And this this would certainly fit uh, with that. There's, I mean, there's going to be uh, some twists and turns, which I don't know how much, you know, you've seen the trailer. So how much can we really give away here? Well, that, that's, that's kind of why I was getting into that with you because um, – there's there the the movie starts one way it appears to be something and then it clearly becomes something else um and i don't know how much of that is appropriate to give away um i think that the does get into that in the trailer but maybe a little bit too much for my own liking um where i I really wish that people would go into this naked i wish i could have gone into this not knowing um and i'm wondering how that turn for you worked not knowing anything uh ahead of time Oh, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun okay. movie uh, in that regard. Uh, you know, I, I think that I, you get to it pretty quickly. You know, I, it's not yeah. something that is a, a twist that happens in the last 10 minutes or the third act here. It's it's something that 
there's clearly something askew with this this bank robbery setup. Uh, James James Franco, for one, not only being the the biggest <laughs> star in the film, you know, is playing a character who seems to have too much of an interest, uh, but almost from a distance, like he's an audience mm-hmm. member to the events. Uh, he's someone who is a hostage. In this scenario, he's he's at the you know he's at the bank, and there's other employees uh, and and patrons, and yet he seems as if he's watching everything unfold like on TV screen, like it's a story that he's heard before, and that's fascinating initially because I think you're you're thinking like okay, this is a crime genre film, so there's you know what does he know? What does the cop know? Like you're you're looking for the the companions here, the the, the inside man. Uh, which is a film I, I thought of, Spike Lee. It's not going to be my chosen film, but yeah. uh, there, there's a, a fun tricksiness to our character here that reminded me of, of Clive Owen's initial setup here. You don't have the dialogue, but you clearly are meant to look at James Franco and wonder what the hell's going on through his head as uh, these these two women uh, come in. You, you already mentioned uh, Francesca Eastwood, uh, Taryn Manning. Uh, as well, who I uh, I don't really know from too much film. I know she does music as well, mm-hmm. so it's like yeah, I know the, exactly. the name uh, more so than I do like probably her her screen credits. And they are introduced, I, I think, in a really cool way because they uh, clearly have a lot of history together. But even without them using that bit of expository dialogue, uh, just with their looks, it's like I don't think these two people should hang out. You're, you're already introducing. <laughs> it would be like uh, let me drop another you know film reference as if Mr. Blonde and Mr. White we got to actually see them interact in the Reservoir Dogs like high sequence <laughs> and how much they each got on each other's nerves. Yeah. Like I said, this movie's a lot of fun. There's a lot of different elements, and really, it's it's. I don't want to give away the 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 ultimate I guess twist as far as where this film leads you because. As I'm watching, I'm thinking this could go any number of ways. You know, this this could be a family drama between the bank robbers. <laughs> uh, this could be like the inside man aspect with with James Franco, and then you are introduced to a cop who seems shady and dirty. And this all happens in the first five minutes. And that's what's so ridiculous about this format for this show, because you could have picked like a thousand different movies, yeah, and actually, none of them would be this. I was actually kind of cursing you for that. I was like, wow, this is going to be the first episode to release, and I feel like I'm going to get this wrong, no matter what I pick, because I'm like, well, it's kind of, you know, our format is broken already with this, because you could, you could do 15 different uh, picks here, which is actually really genre filmmaking at its finest as well. Like, yeah. I, I don't think it's showy with any particular references, uh, like they're aping something. But it's just taking a lot of elements of other movies that have been successful and doing this weird concoction uh, with them that it really works. I mean, this movie, I mean, it's 90 minutes and it moves. I mean, it is it is really entertaining. I, I watched it three times this weekend. So um, I, I had surgery on Thursday when I got the screener. So I was kind of <laughs> locked up in, in bed and medicated. So I, I watched this movie twice once. You know, I was kind of in a little bit of a daze because uh, it was literally about three hours after surgery sitting down and watching this movie. Um, so I wanted to go back and rewatch it. And then I watched it again this morning. So it's just this is a really satisfying film. And it's something that is because of all the different elements it's playing with um, and doing all of them really well, which is, as you said, for a 90 minute film that it can jump back and forth between all these different areas and do them all so well. And it never feels like it's a false step necessarily to me. Um, usually when a movie changes gears like that, if you think of a uh, the, the one that comes to mind immediately, would be like something like a From Dust Till Dawn, when it goes from the gangster movie to the uh, vampire movie, all of a sudden that can be a big turnoff for a lot of people. 
And I get that. And there's nothing as abrupt with that where it doesn't feel like it's a completely different film because it feels like it's all in the same world the entire time. And I think that's what's really smart about this. Yeah, there's nothing as knowing or wink, wink. Like, yeah. oh, now we're a vampire movie. Ha ha. <laughs> like, I, I, I remember watching that film with my mom who loved Tarantino at the time. Like, you know, loved Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. And so she took me to see From Dust Till Dawn. And I was, I was, you know, ecstatic because Salma Hayek's playing a stripper, which, boy, was I disappointed in that. Like, you know, the only, the only one that's not topless for whatever reason, but she I remember there was an interview. I'm going real off uh, subject here with you know uh, my pursuit of uh, TNA as a, as a 14 year old. But there was an interview with Robert Rodriguez that always got my fucking nerves. I should have you know framed it on my wall where he was like, okay, yeah, so she's not going to be naked, but you know that always bothers me in movies where you know movie stars like are playing strippers and they're not getting naked. So what we're going to come up with is going to be far sexier. There's something she does with a snake. And I'm like, dude, just don't, you know, why'd you even go there? Like, you, you don't, Bob Rodriguez, you don't have the skill set. You don't have the talent. You don't have the imagination for that. You know, you need Frank Miller to come on and co-direct with you to get that, get, get that sexiness on screen. Yet again, Jessica Alba, Sin City, stripper who doesn't strip. But um, there are no strippers in this film, unless, you know, unless you want there to be, if you want to project something about the characters and their, their past. But I will, I, I think we should get into, um, you know, because we've gone through films, obviously, that we're talking about. This is a bit overkill as far as this reminds us of, but we've not yeah, made our selection right. yet. Uh, so I think that since we're not wanting to give away the twists and turns, this is not a bad first episode because we're going to attempt to illuminate based on maybe some of the thematic elements uh, without giving away plot details about this film. Let's go ahead and do that with movies that are old that you should have seen by now or not seen based on, I guess, how we recommend them. Uh, so do you want to go first uh, or should I? I'll go ahead and go first. And I, I think I went with something uh, more on the nose um, than you probably did, according to, the, or at least if the only other two episodes of this we've recorded so far, I seem to be the one that does something a little bit more in line. Um, that's what they so call you, Mr. Vanilla. That's, that's your reputation <laughs> well, on film Twitter. I, I, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm going to change that. See if Mr. Vanilla's taken already. <laughs> Mr. Vanilla Films. That's uh, a sad person who, who shows the moniker Mr. Vanilla. <laughs> That's someone that will gladly give you the handle if you tweet at them. You know what? Vanilla is a fine flavor, sir. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and so I was I was thinking about the heist films, and there's way too many of them to go down and kind of think about the exact ones. They all have sort of similar themes where it's the unraveling, and you never really see a heist film where everything goes well. Um, generally, they're about everything falling apart for we the really most should part. make no. one of those we should pitch a where there's no issues whatsoever and no and just everything runs smoothly everybody's it ends happy. in a no. wedding it becomes a wedding movie <laughs> <laughs> that's their honeymoon <laughs> money that they they've acquired and they live happily ever after that would be great muriel's big bank heist it always bothered me in true romance let me throw out another tarantino film <laughs> why does christian slater have to get shot in the face like i yeah, they didn't want to kill him. I know Tarantino wanted to kill him. I don't know if I agree with either one of those events that happened. I don't think I would have been satisfied if he dies. And I don't know if I like that he goes around wearing an eye patch. I don't think, uh, you know, maybe because Clarence is a big dork, that that's going to be his one cool thing that he has. And, you know, he got shot in the <laughs> face. <laughs> you know, that that was a point in time where comic book nerds didn't look like Christian Slater. So I guess that's how you brought him down to reality uh, in the end. I mean, you know, the coolest character in, in that film is Alabama by far. She, she oh, is God the, the badass. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I don't know if they, I don't know if Tony Scott believed that, but I think you watched the put, film. He, he put her 
toe to toe, so to speak, with Tony Soprano, and she held her own. And th- that was probably you know that was uh, James Gandolfini, who was already uh, a rather large, imposing man. Not yes. in, not in uh, the uh, unhappy marriage with Carm phase of his physicality. <laughs> He was still single and ready to mingle <laughs> while he was feeding so, women. <laughs> okay, so um, the the theme is working out perfectly because um, the movie that I selected for this goes right along with all these movies in this time period, okay. and the director of it was right in the this grouping of uh, writer-directors. It was uh, Roger Avery's Killing Zoe. Don't you ever conflict hey. with me during work hey, again. Do you have to fucking kill anyone? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were in charge now. Nobody told me that. If you had opened the vault, you would have saved us a fucking hour. Great, so we gone from being thieves to murderers. Oh, fuck! It doesn't matter. Here you get the death penalty just for robbing a federal bank. Well, yeah, I thought they abolished the death penalty. Oh, that's what they tell you, so who cares? I need to take a piss. Because I wanted to do something that kind of was a heist film. But that was just sort of the setting for the movie um, that it had all these other dynamics that were working its way through this. And this was just sort of the tension that it was using that was creating the situation where the movie's really about this idea of a friendship that's falling apart, that, you know, th- this relationship between these two men that existed at one point in time. And it actually means something to one of them doesn't mean very much at all to the other person. So I thought that it was similar in a little bit more than just uh it's not a deconstruction of a heist film necessarily but it's definitely fucking with the format a little bit and since we've mentioned tarantino so many times and that's that's what the film's about right his relationship with tarantino (laughs) (laughs) well i I think you know i think so you know i I hadn't thought about that before um that it is pretty much him talking about quentin tarantino that he sees himself as eric stoltz and the crazy uh drug addled frenchman Mm -hmm. is tarantino yeah i guess that actually makes a lot of sense um but this was a movie that um 1993 there was a time period when vhs films came out and if you were enough of an idiot and you had enough disposable income and they weren't for sale yet. You could uh, still buy the rental copies of them. Mm-hmm. And Killing Zoe was one of those ones that I spent $99 on. Wow. And just for a pan and scan VHS copy of it at the time. Now, had then, you already blown up your local video store as far as renting it? Like, you know, I mean, how many rentals would that have built up? How many times did you need to see it is what I'm asking. For that to make sense, it didn't yeah. matter. It, it was just one of those things where I needed to, I just wanted to own it. Um I was, this is 93, so I was in high school. Um, I was working, and my money went to Laserdiscs and way overpriced VHS. So, Jesus. Yeah. It wasn't a Laserdisc for uh, Killing Zoe, I'm guessing. It wasn't, which is the weird thing in thinking about this particular release because there was a point in my life where I was willing to spend $100 on this bare bones edition of this film, not even a trailer for it, um, just that just the movie itself. And now I don't even own a Blu-ray of this thing. And I think you can get it for $5. Not worth it. That's what you've decided. 2017. <laughs> you're like, yeah, fuck that. Uh, that, 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 you know, this is taking a depressing turn as far as, uh, which is sad to say, cause you're probably far more responsible now as far as you wouldn't spend a hundred dollars on, you know, any probably particular tangible film. I can't imagine now that there's going to be a, a box set, even 4k, whatever it is that they could charge the viewing public a hundred dollars now in, in the streaming uh, world, a box set. Yeah. I mean, I'm enough of an idiot that there are box sets that I would 
spend that much money on. But wouldn't it but be like a, 50 films? Wouldn't it be like every oh, Hitchcock yeah, no, film oh, ever made? Exactly. Yeah, it would be something like that. <laughs> it's not going to be um, it's not going to be like when, you know, the alien box set that was right. just, you know, that thing that it was, OK, well, I want to get this on Laserdisc and I want to get the it has that extra couple scenes at the end of it. And I need to make sure that it's in CAV format, not CLV format, because I need to, you know, change the sides of the disc every 20 minutes. You know, we're starting to sound, I'll give one away, one spoiler of this film where the characters, there's a, a very heated argument about, I don't know, uh, some number of millions of dollars uh, that are all marked in like 1972 bills. And one character has, some very, you know, with all the shenanigans that have gone on with this heist gone wrong, you know, they're having having issues with the, the hostages. Uh, you got squirrely James Franco saying, I just want to help you out. And you can tell that they're just like... Yeah, you freak me out, dude. I don't know. I don't know why you're staring at me that way. You should be afraid of these things, and you just seem you seem turned on by this. But one of the one of the characters, I believe, it's Taryn Manning. Uh, you know, when she gets a somewhat muted response to the money she's just brought up, and the fact that they're all 1972 bills, it's like, who gives a shit? Like, what? You know, what? <laughs> And it's almost like the character is speaking like, you know, what bank robbery film am I in where I've got the nerd crew, the, the mathletes, they're like looking at the dated bills. <laughs> and it, I was howling with laughter at that. I was totally so I was with that character that moment. And a lot of times in these type of films, I think you're you're meant to once the setup is there, you are just going to get your rocks off watching them fuck up. And yeah. you're just like, this is something these people deserve. And I thought it was cool that the film did draw me back in where there were different points where not that I necessarily sided with the bank robbers, but that I actually sided with them on those like little smaller points where I'm just like, you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on. Are you going to give me shit about this? Like this is the, I have to take shit about the dollar bills not being. It, you like took it. enough time to notice this and you're taking enough time to talk about it <laughs> yes, right now. Yes. <laughs> there are bigger issues right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. That, that definitely worked. Um, you know, my my film is going. To, we're going to be pretty close because now we've talked all around you know, Tarantino, uh, and I did not pick uh, one of his films, but I picked another one that has probably been had the same accusation lobbed. Although, unlike Killing Zoe, it was far more successful. So, actually, you know, I wanted to give you the Mister Vanilla moniker, but I went a little bit more mainstream, and I went with a, a film that I think in a recent conversation you've revealed you're not a fan of, which is Christopher McQuarrie's The Usual Suspects, not Brian Singer, because as we've seen from his later sure. work, he didn't have much to do with this. <laughs> all right, you all know the drill. When your number is called, step forward and repeat the phrase you've been given. Understand? Number one, step forward. Hand me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. Number two, step forward. Give me the fucking keys, you fucking cocksucker, motherfucker! Knock it off, get back. Number three, step forward. <laughs> Hand me the keys, you cocksucker. In English, please. Excuse me. In English. How many fucking keys? You cocksucker, what the fuck? <laughs> Number four, step forward. It was bullshit. The whole rap was a setup. Hand me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. It was all the cops' fault. You don't put guys like that into a room together. Five, step Who knows what can happen? 
Hand me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. Uh, and to be fair, uh, looking into this film, I think a lot of my fandom has maybe even more so to do with Benicio Del Toro than it does Christopher McQuarrie, because apparently he was one of many that despised the performance given by this great man for this thankless character that, <laughs> as you mentioned, is just someone who's there to be, you know, we're expecting these criminals in these films just to be killed off. We're just expecting them to, like, let's just watch them go down. Yeah, just a bunch of red shirts. You know, it has, or Usual Suspects has a sort of very 90s indie film crime film in particular like like agatha christie kind of vibe to it where it's like you know they clearly are setting up this this myth this legend uh in this this ultimate benefactor of sorts with the the, the kaiser soze moniker that mm-hmm. is going to tempt them like the devil and then we the audience get to see uh the usual suspects this gang of criminals being knocked off one by one in their pursuit of their heist which in this case is some sort of cocaine deal gone wrong um where there's no cocaine you know the ultimate buzz kill that's that's like the the you know the parties we would throw chris like if you want to check out an episode where we're total dorks on war machine versus war horse we are fascinated in our rough night episode by the use of cocaine by women and we we ask our guests if she knows anything about cocaine <laughs> one of our moments where we're like yo Maybe it's time to blow this thing up and start a new show because we've lost all street cred. So to bring it back, uh, how much street cred have I lost by throwing the usual suspects out there? It's not a, a bank heist, but it is yet another heist gone wrong. It's one that makes sense in um, the way the sort of turn of the movie, those kinds of things. But um, unlike the usual suspects, this is something that actually I think rewards multiple viewings. Um, usual suspects, maybe you get one extra viewing on it so you can see how everything was put together. Um, and then you realize, Oh wait, the entire time the movie was just lying to me. That's all it was. It was a lie. It's not like there's all these puzzle pieces that are there that kind of laid everything out in this clever way that you could have seen it the entire time. No, you were just being blatantly lied to. It's cool the first time and it's kind of a neat trick and it's a fun film exercise, but it's something that every time I've gone back to that film and I did see it quite a few times, it just was diminishing returns and I ended up enjoying it less and less to the point where I I just don't really care for it very much because all films and all storytelling is manipulation, but that type of manipulation, there needs to be something more to gravitate towards. And you you have one good point there where you have Benicio del Toro's performance, which if it was just that hanging out with that guy the entire time and a lot less Stephen Baldwin, I'd be on board but you have more Stephen Baldwin and Kevin Pollack than you do Benicio del Toro to really even things out. Yeah. It's a credit to him that he, he knows. And like I said, we're going to do spoilers on these old films, but he's the first one to get bumped off and he's like, well, fuck it. If that's the only, (laughs) if that's the only purpose my character serves is to embolden slash threaten the other guys to go through the heist, then I'm going to make my performance in this character memorable in some way. And I I think the reason I, I brought up is there's, you know, there's a certain, uh, thrill, you know, cheekiness that the 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 vault is just more upfront about. It as far as like we were we were boxing these criminals into uh, a room and we were going to put the screws to them uh, in a way they didn't expect and probably the audience is not expecting. Like you know, the, I, we're yeah. used to seeing the interactions with the cops outside, and even that has a bit of a different take. And it, I think yeah. that's that's one of my favorite elements of it is there's not 
as much back and forth as you're used to. This is not Dog Day Afternoon, and uh, you know that that's not a <laughs> that's not a knock on this film for not being Dog Day Afternoon, but it's not as interested in developing a relationship with the the outside force that's right there, you know, outside those walls. And I really love that. I it's it's really. Th- the reason I go to usual suspects is I did see a similarity as far as the myth-making that they're both interested in uh, and what in particular is going to affect people who, you know, are already myths to a normal average citizen as far as, you know, they're, they're already blazing a trail and doing very dangerous acts. You know, robbing this bank is not something, this is a fantasy an average citizen, a Walter Mitty would have, but what do you do with those characters? You have to really heighten something that's going to spook them in a way. And Kaiser Soze, you know, that works with in the usual suspects and the, the stories that are told to them about this, this particular location that they've chosen to rob, I think really start to work. And it's, it's really fun. Now I I do think, you know, and I, I like usual suspects much more than you. So, but I will say this film is far more fun than the usual suspects in that regard. Um, because I, I think there's, there's great character work there, but there's also a lot of stuff that really, really doesn't work. Like that. I don't know how many times I can sit and watch, you know, poor Kevin Spacey being told he's stupid. The the entire, you know, that, that to me, I just feel like, you know, this cop's really working too hard. Like you already got the guy talking. You, like what, yeah. you, you're going to try to scare him. You're going to try to front him to get him talk more. Like, geez, I would be the guy to be like, slow down. As I was taking notes, I'd be like, will you shut up for a moment? I've got to take this down. You, you make Chaz Palminteri look bad in, in a movie. And this is a guy who I got, I was fortunate enough to see him do the one man show version of a Bronx tale. That's a guy that can literally carry six different characters on stage and jump back and forth between all of them and pull it off and execute it flawlessly. And there's no need for set changes or anything, just a guy up on stage talking, and he can pull that off. And he's wasted in that movie. I mean, what do you expect? Brian Singer has made Ian McKellen look bad multiple times in his life. Jesus, why does Ian McKellen keep going back? Is he just trying to recapture that apt pupil? vibe is that what I, it is? I really don't think that's what they're trying to recapture <laughs> in any way shape or form but i i do think those you know marvel mutant movies those checks cash and they cash well so <laughs> you know i gotta knock mckellen for that but oh, fair um, enough. so i want i want to go back to, to killing zoe because this is uh when you our, our sort of rule that we've uh, we've established we don't want to reveal exactly what the other one's chosen but we don't want to do an episode where we're like oh, got the same thing we got this movie pegged it's, sure. it's really just one thing they're removing the the whole this meets that format and premise um you did but when you sent me the year i was like oh i wonder if it's killing zoe that's you know because i felt like you know and i kind of hope for the vault that you know killing zoe and it probably won't be because there's not to my mind there's not a qt uh running around that dan bush has had some falling out with, or he's that they're similar filmmakers. And I think something that's different from Avery to Dan Bush is he's not going to have that shadow. And I think that there's clearly big differences in his work, just from the one other film that I've seen of his, like Mm -hmm. he's willing to kind of go all over the map. And the, the killing Zoe thing really is something that I wonder if there would have been a different response. If Avery had not, if that had not been his first go, if he had sort of put that one on the shelf and if that had come out in 2000 or, you know, 2002 as opposed to, and say he had done rules of attraction earlier in the mid nineties, I wonder if his career would have been dramatically different because it, at the time it came out, it was like, Oh, this is like, you know, another Tarantino movie. That's not, but, but it's not, it's, it, it didn't, that movie has never felt like a Tarantino movie to me. But the, the uh, marketing, I mean, obviously it's like well, executive the, the, produced by Tarantino and the bank robbery element and all of that. 
but the credit sequence and feels like Tarantino with the yellow and black, that kind of thing. It has that vibe to it, but very quickly it becomes something different. And I, yeah, that association I think definitely hurt the movie where it, people just, I, I, this is film Twitter before there was film Twitter, but the people that paid attention to shit like that, that actually cared about it. were just saying that he was aping Tarantino, but I think he did something that was completely on his own really considering that's a big shadow to be working around. Um, and no, I don't think that Dan Bush has that at all. And you're right that he kind of jumps around a lot. And uh, another film that he did called the signal, it's a uh, more of a straightforward horror film, but it's the, it's batshit crazy. It's fantastic. It's one of the most oddball horror films I've seen in the last 15, 20 years. Um, that's one that I definitely highly recommend for people. It's a interesting, interesting little movie. And, um, where it's told from there's just this outbreak, but then these different directors take different pieces of the story where the movie's falling down this narrative path, but then different directors step in and tell little pieces of it. So it's a vignette, but within one story. So it's kind of jumps around, but it makes sense. And it's very experimental, but I think it actually works out really well in that movie. That's experimental here, but that's also clearly something he's interested in as far as how, information is relayed because you do yeah. you do go to different characters at least the bank robbers and they're asking the hostages like what exactly is going here why is this the why is this the process of the bank this is very weird and that's mm-hmm. something that clearly is going to be a red flag for for audiences uh, as far as where the money is kept and like that that is meant to draw no, some questions obviously we keep we keep all of our real money in the bank in the basement that's like 60 years old that, that's what everybody does right I mean, I've I've never worked in a bank, but I would I would think you know if I was uh, like one of the, the young women here, uh, Eastwood's character who's applying for the job, I would if I was legitimately applying for the job, unlike her, <laughs> I would have a few more questions like, oh, that sounds like a lot of leg work, a lot of extra physical labor that's unnecessary in these modern times. <laughs> I, I, I love that your concern with this is really based down to the number of footsteps you're, you're really you're looking at the pedometer as opposed to I, I actually just now looked at my uh apple watch and uh, i have one hour of stand because we start recording this uh uh just after uh you know the time flipped over for me so yeah i guess me walking to sit down uh i'm healthy as a horse my friend i would be able to do that job what am i talking about yeah um i i, I think the the smartest thing this film does unlike my my choice, which uh, has characters asking questions of of someone who never gives them the correct answer, just keeps giving them uh, a story, is that uh, there are certain elements of truth to what they're they're hearing. It's just not the truth they want to hear, which really spoke to me. Even for you know a, a genre film, as far as watching, I mean, for our times, that's I mean that's it, whatever it is, politics, whatever you know, medium, even just consuming news, uh, it could be entertainment news. People are meant to aggregate it to no, no, don't. I'm not interested in that topic. Tell me this. Tell me that. And it was kind of interesting to see, like, when you clearly have evidence of fucked up shit going on, that these bank robbers are like, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, I don't want, I don't want to hear that from you. But they're being told these tales by desperate people. Like, yeah. you know, it's all desperate people having conversations, which um, speaks to my life greatly in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we are. I think we need to rebrand, and this show is now called Desperate People Having Conversations. Hosted by Mr. Vanilla and Friends. <laughs> we'll have to work on my handle. <laughs> I'll have to you know, become sort of some sort of health fitness guru uh, with my pedometer and working at a bank. <laughs> 
I don't know what I'll be called, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we have done the Lord's work uh, promoting the vault. What do you? What about you? Oh no, nailed it. No, we're done. That's it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm in total agreement. <laughs> So that's it. First episode of Projecting Film. As mentioned and uh, alluded to with uh, some snide jokes, if you are a previous listener of War Machine vs. War Horse, it may not be that different, just shorter, which is really a blessing for all involved, creators and, and fan alike. If you are someone who's just now discovering the show, I hope we are not on episode 50 and you have jumped back to the very beginning because... We'll probably have changed uh, the music. Uh, actually, we're in the process of doing that. Logo. Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably be booted off my own show, more than likely. But uh, as for now, if you want to reach out and discuss anything you've listened with us, we appreciate the feedback. Let us know if someone's listening. You can go to followingfilms.com, where you can find more of Chris's writings. And uh, Basically, I use this site to dump my audio nonsense and other podcast forms such as The Grand Gesture, which I co-host with Dave Hart of Pop Culture Case Study. And guess what? He'll be on the very next episode of this podcast, Projecting Film, as he's the guest that will have a trailer reaction for Nobody's Watching, which really should have been the uh, the first episode, because no one as of yet is listening. But uh, you are now, and I hope you join us again for that episode and uh, see which, which movies we have meeting. And this this ridiculous, uh, totally uncool, this meets that concept. But it's been fun. At Projecting Film on social media. Emails at projectingfilm at gmail.com. Thanks. Got a few jokes. I guess off mic. Yeah, that was the biggest thing. That was my only concern with this as far as like... I was like, I don't want to spoil this movie. Like, I no, don't. No, neither do I. Don't. Yeah. There's not a lot of people are going to see it. Um, oh, I think it'll find its home. Sure. But don't watch the trailer ahead of time. And putting the trailer at the lead, um, I, I didn't go back and think about it with the uh, audio in mind, how much that gives away and how much of it is just visual stuff. But try not to fuck it up for people because I hope that this will actually work as something that will guide people to this movie because it's, damn, it's fun. Yeah. Right. Unlike something else we're going to talk about tonight. Oh, come on.